starting a series this morning. Remember Easter Day, my pastor is going to be here, Terry Tickham. I believe he's uh, the um, uh, chaplain for uh, KSBJ employees. And sometimes he's on the radio. I believe uh, Roy and I were coming from uh, Calvert one time and he was on the radio talking about prayer. So he's going to be here with us. He was uh, my pastor when I was in college station. So if you don't know that, uh, if you don't know this, know it now. I was a Methodist, okay, <laughs> because it was a United Methodist Church, but uh, they spoke in tongues. So I joined them. <laughs> Amen. Today I'm going to be speaking, uh, and the message is titled, Successful Family Life. I mean, this is a family series. But please don't think it ha- is all for a family, a married person. There are so much truths in the scriptures that you can benefit from and, and your life will be changed. I believe that many lives are going to be transformed as we begin to look into this, the principles from the word of God. Father, I want to thank you. Speak to us today and encourage us from your word. Help us to grow from grace to grace, from faith to faith. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, strong families. You know, there are strong families, and weak families, troubled families, everywhere in the world. In the United States, we have strong families, and we have weak families. We also have troubled families. In Africa, we have the same thing. And some scientists, fam- scientists that study families, that's the, for, they study uh, family strength, strong families. They've studied families across the glo- globe trying to determine what traits make up for a strong family life. And these are not just, I'm sure they have Christians in them, but they are not all Christians. So they studied every culture around the globe. And then they found seven traits that cut across, seven traits that cut across strong families around the world. And so I want to present some of these findings. It's not scientific, but for, you, for us to know this, because it's part of living, it's part of life. The first trait is appreciation and affection. Strong families have this trait. They appreciate every member of the family and they show affection. It's so very important. People want to be appreciated. You don't want to take your family member for granted. You don't want to take your wife for granted. You don't want to take your husband for granted and for that i'm really glad my wife's coming tomorrow i can't wait no <laughs> uh, but wife is gone her brother is with me <laughs> pat is back there so you don't want to take family members for granted so people in strong families deeply care for one another above that they let each other know constantly. They don't quit. It's not, I love you, or I care one time, and then it's the next year before they hear it. 
It's constant, regularly. They let the other family member know you appreciate it. We, we love you. And then there is the affection, the tenderness towards each other. That's part of family life. Now, I, sometimes people think, well, but that's not just me. I can't do that. Why not? Others are doing it. You just have to learn. We learn to do things. You start doing it, and before long, it becomes a part of you. If you never start, it will never be a part of you. You may start slowly, and it's a little difficult, because you were not brought that way to be touchy and feeling. But you start trying it, you might like it. And before long, it's already a part of you. But it blesses your family member, and it blesses you. This is a particular trait in the family. Another one is, the second one is commitment. Commitment. This is so key. Not just becoming a part of the family, you are committed to this family. This is your family. So everything you do, you show your commitment. There is dedication to one another well-being. And that's a priority in a strong family. It's not just about me, but how the other person is doing. How you feeling? Selfishness is always dealing with how am I being ministered to? And so you focus on that. But when you are committed to your family, the main thing is you are concerned, your priority is the comfort of the other person. And you are committed to that. Those who are in strong families, they are committed to the comfort and well-being of the one who is part of the family. The children, everybody, everyone is okay in the family. It makes for a strong family. They invest time, energy, resources. It's even more so when the other family members know you don't have a whole lot, but you are putting everything you can to make sure they are comfortable. It glues the family together. And so they found that this is a very important trait in strong family, strong families all over the globe. And I wanted to bring that to you. The third is positive communication. Families... At these families, that's strong families, they are task-oriented in their communication. Task-oriented. They are able to identify problems and then they discuss the problems together, trying to determine not how one member of the family can solve the problem, but how we can handle the problem. They can identify the problems. Many times, they just talk, just to stay connected. And what happens in most cases, while they're just talking, rambling, problems, hidden problems come to light. And they are able to, well, that's a problem there. But they were just talking. How do we solve this? So there is a positive communication, not negative, but positive communication in the family task oriented how to better the family 
not cutting down the other person, but how to build the family. What are the issues that we have without making the other person feel bad? Because when they feel bad, they get defensive. And they are not cooperative anymore. But you're doing a good job. How can we better this family? And as you talk, things begin to happen. Fourth is they enjoy time together. There was a study done with 1,500, these researchers did this study, 1,500 school children. And the question they, the, the question they had for these children was, was, what makes a happy family? And these were school children. Now, you know how kids are. A nice car for the family, you know. That would make a happy family. You know, uh, uh, an elegant home to live in. Stuff like that. Disney World. That would make us real happy. But that's not what the children said. Just few students mentioned cars. A nice house to live in. Money. Few of them mentioned that. Majority of them said a, fam- a happy family is one that does things together. They just want to do things together. They, f- they don't forget those times that they are together. It doesn't matter how much they have. But when they are able to be together in a place doing stuff, it stays with them. That was what was important to them. Families that are able to do stuff together and they thoroughly enjoy or genuinely enjoy being with one another. Can't wait to get back to be with family member. As opposed to husbands through from work and he thinks, boy, I'm going home. Oh, Lord, I'm going home. (laughs) He spends another two hours wandering around town wondering, boy, I don't know if I want to go home. That's not a home. That's a dwelling place where they dwell. It's not a home yet. He has to say, I can't wait to get back home. And the kids, happy. These are the traits of a strong family. They are able to manage stress and crisis better than troubled families. Strong families are not immune to stressful situations and crises. The Bible says a man born of a woman has but few days. And those days are full of troubles. So troubles will always come. Stressors will always come into your life. Crisis, that's not new. We're not immune to these things. But if you have a strong family, they are able to handle this stressful and crisis situation better than troubled families. Troubled families, they go to pieces when stresses come. And they think, we're just my family. No, every family is going through it. It's not just your family. Every family is going through it. They are able to lift their heads up and appear to be doing well because they can handle the crisis as a family. They can handle the problems. But you're well... Weak families, troubled families are not able to do it. If you're working together, two is better than one. And when you include the children, they understand they, are not, they, are, they won't be talking back at you. They know they have a problem. And how do we do? Daddy, what do we do? 
You don't have to burden. And then, then that's where daddy comes out and says, don't worry, God's going to help us. And then you pray together and God comes in. But they can manage crisis better. Six is very important. If you're married, you have children, you need to know this. It's very, very important. It's, it's, it's amazing how scientists go and they're studying stuff and they find out what the Bible has already told us, right? <laughs> they come in screaming, ah, we know how the brain works. Well, God has already told us how it works. They're excited. We say, big deal. We already knew that, okay? In strong families, the parents are kind to one another. Strong families, parents are kind to one another. The children watch. When you're not kind to one another, it affects the kids. The studies show that in a family home, in a, in a family, a strong family, where the parents are kind to one another, the kids are more apt to be obedient and to take instruction from their parents. That's what the scientists found. They are more respectful because they see you are kind, you are respectful to one another. You understand? They are more respectful and they are more apt to listen to instructions and follow through because of the atmosphere you've created in the home of respect, both for the husband and for the wife. So important. And the seventh one, spiritual well-being. Spiritual well-being. This in their studies, this in their studies was the most controversial. They couldn't have understand it. And so they labeled for strong families with spiritual well-being, when the members have spiritual well-being, meaning they are spiritual, there is something that they look up to God. You know, when they study, they just don't study Christians, they study all of it. But when there is a feeling of a connection with some heavenly being, then they call that spiritual well-being. And they call it, the scientists call it, the caring center. The caring center. When you have a spiritual, when you are feeling good spiritually, then in you, they believe you have what is called a caring center that promotes love, they said. Sharing, they said. And compassion. Isn't that amazing? Sharing is so important. You don't keep things to yourself, you put it out for the family to enjoy. You don't hide things from your mate, you put it out. You're willing to put it because you are spiritually sound. They said this moreover, and I'm going to read this. It said, it is a feeling, that's spiritual well-being. It is a feeling of force. I mean, you like it when they use the word force, okay? That means God, right? <laughs> It's a feeling of force that helps people transcend themselves and their day-to-day stressors to focus on that which is sacred in their life. 
it is that spiritual well-being that makes them not to be selfish. To love and care for those who are members of their family. To make sure that they're not hurting. They're not confused. They're not going through a problem. They have a home to go to. They are loved. They're welcome. That's what it is. I was surprised, I'm not surprised, I should say, that they found this to be the case. Spiritual well-being. And I believe really that is the core of the strong family. It's hard to really have a really strong family without this spiritual part of a man's being. Because everything that you see is spiritual. Everything that you do is spiritual. Now, don't think that when a man mentions the word spiritual, you, all you're thinking is about reading the Bible or praising God or praying. That's not all that's spiritual. Working is spiritual. Everything that you do has an eternal consequence. Whatever you do. Giving is spiritual. Giving on the streets is spiritual. God watches it. Because you are a spiritual being. Everything you do is spiritual. You become more like God when you get close to God. But everything you do is spiritual. Everything. Even work is spiritual. The Bible tells us that. Everything is spiritual. Because you are a spiritual being. So to really have a strong family, the place to go is to go to the book of beginnings. So you know exactly how God put us together. Because family is God's idea. It's not man's idea. The United States and the rest of the world, especially the Western world, they want to change what, they want to redefine what family is. But uh, they can do whatever they want. God knows what he calls family. You can't redefine it. Family life is God's idea. It started with God himself. God is a family man. God is a family man. You, you have God the Father, God the Son, Son, family. God the Holy Spirit. God is a family man. Family life started with God. And if you understand how God put man on the earth, then you will understand how important family life is. And then maybe God will give you insight into how to have a real strong family. And not destroy your family. So important. God is a family person. And you know, I can tell you how excited, how excited about family God is. Till today. The first miracle Jesus did. He did where? At a wedding feast. Where a family was being put together. But he was there at the very beginning too. When he put the family together. When he created Adam and Eve. 
Family is so important to God. And that's why God says, I hate divorce. He doesn't hate people who divorce. He hates divorce itself. Why? Because of what he does to the family. Not that God hates people who are divorced. No, he hates divorce. Why? Because of what he does to men. Because it's contrary to what he really wants for men. He wants the best for us. And so the way to understand who you are as a man or a woman in a family is to go to the beginning, to know your place. Because if you don't know your place and where, what God's place is in the family, you miss, you will totally miss what family life is all about. And you have a wreck. But I, t- I guarantee you, everything that you do is by faith. I'm beginning to realize that. I don't have to look at what I see in front of me. I can get anything done by faith. In Christ. Not just faith in faith. Faith in Christ. Anything can be done. I can overlook what I see right before my eyes and believe God and things will change. It will change. It will change. It has no choice but will change. So we need to go back to God. And understand this principle. Once you grab this principle and you begin to align yourself and position yourself with these principles, things will begin to change in your family. You'll begin to see God's blessings upon your family in every way. Every way. There will hardly be lack in the family if you do it right. So the family was God's idea. I want to go to the story of creation and bring out some truths there so we can understand some things here because it's really important regarding how God put the family life together. I'm going to be reading from, we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1 from 20, verse 26 and 27 and we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 and we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. We're going to be looking at those. And then later, we'll go to Genesis chapter 2, beginning from verse 18 to 23. We'll be looking at those scriptures. And so I want you to look closely to what God is doing here. Because it will give you an idea of what God was doing when he created the family. So you have a healthy respect for your family member and what God was doing. And if you do that, then God will begin to do works in, works in your life. Amen? If you read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now, say the word make. Now, that word make is Asa in the Hebrew. Make. That word make means to create from something that already exists. To form from something that already exists. So God is taking from something that he was already there and he makes whatever he wants to make. That's the word Esa. That's what he's saying there. God said, let us make man in our image. In other words, let this man look like us. So you want to find out how God looks like? He looks just like you. (laughs) He looks just like you. And then we can see that in Jesus Christ when he came. He was the express image of the Father. 
Hebrews chapter 1. The express image of the Father. So what does the Father look like? Just like Jesus. And what did Jesus look like? Just like man, right? It was just like, he looks, looks exactly like us. Even though he's spirit, he has a form. And his form is just like what I'm looking at right here. He looks just like you. He looks just like you. That's crucial. That's very important. God said, let us make man from what already exists in our image, according to our likeness. Let him look like us. According to our likeness, the way we look. God has a hand. How many knows that? He has a hand. He has a head. He had eyes. Everything that you see came from the spirit world. Existed there first before you have the manifestation on the earth. The family life was already there before it was manifested right here. Oh, the only problem is over there is, is perfect. And here we have to work at it. Amen. <laughs> so he said, let us make men in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that, uh, that creeps on the earth. You know, we want to know one real creep on the earth? The devil. He's a creep. And in verse 27, God said, here, so God created man. Notice the word is changed from making, right? The word create here is bearer, B-A-R-A, in the Hebrew word. God created man in his own image. Now, that word bearer is creating from something that did not already exist. Creating from something that did not already exist. So God is saying, I want to create man. And notice what it says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. No word is said about making. He created him. That is a bearer of him. He created him from something that was not already there. Male and female, he created them. Notice he said he created him, and then he says male and female, he created them. We go from him to them. And now he's talking about creation. Not making, but creation. Very important, we're coming to that. Amen? And then if you go to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God begins to tell us how he made man or created man he says and the lord formed again that's the word Asher. and the word the lord formed man from the dust he formed man from what was already there just like the animals he formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostril the breath of life And man became a living being or a living soul. So there are two parts to this creation of man. The first one was the making of the man coming from the dust. Something that already exists. And then God created him by breathing into his nostrils. And then he became a living being or a living soul 
a spiritual being, an eternal being that will never die. An eternal being that will never die. The animals were not created that way. The animals were created from the dust. Animals have souls. The soul of an animal, the soul has to do with the will, the emotions, okay? The mind, the will, and the emotions. Animals have minds. Animals have emotions. We've seen that on television. You can see them, you know, uh, elephants grieving. Have you seen that on television? When one of their little ones die, they grieve for days. They have emotions. They have mind. They have their own mind. So they have a soul. But their soul resides in their bodies. And so when they die, the body dies, the soul goes poof. It's gone. But not so with man. Man is a spirit. Because he was created by God in his spirit. Man is a spirit and his soul becoming a living being, a living soul. Meaning his soul resides in his spirit. That cannot die. So when the body dies, his spirit is still alive. His spirit was not allowed to live in his body his i mean his soul was not allowed to live in his body his soul was created in his spirit so your soul as a man lives forever why because your spirit lives forever are we getting it here i believe we are there's a reason why this is so important because, let me just put it this way, Adam's body was created one day and several days later, his body was created. Adam was created complete. If you read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, this is the book of the gene- genealogy of Adam. In the day. What day was this? The sixth day, right? The sixth day. In the day that God created man. So man was created what day? One day. Notice the word that that we are saying here. He didn't say in the day that God made man. Did he say that? Or Barah? No. Or Isa? No. He says the day that God created man. The day that God created Adam. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man. Created Adam. Man. Mankind. God created mankind in one day. The sixth day. In the day that God created man. He made him in his likeness. So again we're talking about how God made him. Okay. Now we'll use another but He created and then he made him in his likeness. To look just like God. It says he created them. Now the word changes. He created them. Male and female. Notice he created. Now let me show you what's going on here. When God created Adam. God created Adam. Inside. He has a body. 
But in the essence of his spirit, as spiritually, he was having both, male and female. Now, it looks like a freak uh, being, but that's not what we're looking at. Because what God did, he had in his, his being the essence of both, both of them. And that's the reason why I'm going to that, because we're coming to that later. Let me put it this way. I'll give you a head before you start thinking, what is he talking about? Jesus was created complete. Amen? His side was open. We came out of that. We'll come into that. But Adam was created by himself. And he had the essence, he was fully complete in himself as a man, meaning mankind. Now the Bible tells us the story of the creation of Eve. Again, we have to understand this. Adam's body was created separate from Eve's body. Eve was created later. But notice what the scripture says. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in what day? In the day they were created. So what day we're talking about? In the day they were created. So Adam and Eve, even though we never saw Eve, Eve didn't have anybody, but Eve was already in existence. Okay? He created them one day, not separate days. God created man one day in the day that God created them. He created them as one. Amen? That's very crucial. He created them as one. They ought to be one person. And God still sees a husband and wife to be one. And if you don't maintain that, your family suffers. So important. This is spiritual. We're not talking, many of us are thinking in terms of fleshly things. This is not fleshly stuff. This is spiritual. You can't understand it's a spiritual thing that God is doing. But notice how God created Eve later. He says in Genesis chapter 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. He says, and the Lord God said, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make, notice the word that is used, Esa, right? I will make, not create. I will make for him, okay? Oh boy, who got this word in here? I will make him a helper comparable to him. What's the role of the woman? Helper. I don't like that. <laughs> it's just to help the man, that's why I was created. But notice what the scripture says. It's a helper that is comparable to him. No difference. No difference. She is not less, lesser than him in any way. But there is a role for her. Amen? A place for her. In God's scheme of things, there is a place. When you leave that place, that's when the family suffers. Whether you leave that place emotionally or practically, what you move from that position... The family is going to suffer. Everybody's their home is going to suffer because the body is thrown into confusion. Amen? Can I hear an amen? You guys are mighty quiet this morning. 
trying to understand where I'm going with this. He made him a helper comparable to him. Now the helper is so important. The helper, what's the Holy Spirit called? Is the Holy Spirit lesser than Jesus? Are they not the same God? The woman is not less. He's the same. Man, you need help. Excuse me. <laughs> Every man needs help. He just thinks he has it together. He's deceiving himself. He can't make it without the helper. Amen. I know I need help. I need Angela. And she helps me a lot. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes I rebel, but she's right. <laughs> hey, who is doing that? <laughs> I need help. Sometimes men can't dress them, so I can pick colors, right? Angela tells me this is what to pick, and that said, eh, uh, okay, whatever you say, mama. And if they give me compliment, I tell them I did it, but now I'm kidding. <laughs> we need help. You're deceiving yourself as a man if you think you don't need your wife's help. You're deceiving yourself. Women can see things that men can see. A lot of men have been, not literally, but almost like beheaded because they didn't listen to their wives. They thought they had everything. I'm beginning to learn to listen to her. Amen? <laughs> because I found out how many times I've been wrong. So when mama keeps speaking, I say, okay, let me analyze this. Can I pray about this? Especially when I disagree, I need to talk to the one who is higher. Amen? <laughs> because I could be wrong, and she may be. Amen. God said, I'm going to make, now the word uses Asa, I'm going to make, not create, right? I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. You will think, after God said this, God will immediately go about making the woman, right? He didn't do that. God didn't do that. I'm shocked to find that out. He didn't immediately do that. And look at what the next verse says in verse 19. It says, And out of the ground, just telling you what God had done, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. God was bringing these animals to Adam to see what he created Adam perfect. And Adam could look at the animal and can tell the kind of characteristics and everything about the animal. Well, that's one is going to be called a lion. The other one looks like a giraffe. He knew to name them. And God brought them to him to say, that's the way I will call them, but let me see what he's going to call them. And he got it every time. Amen. Adam got it every time. And God said, yeah. He was a perfect man at that point. He didn't make any mistake. What God would call the animal, that's what Adam would call it. But what's curious about this is God just said, I'm going to make him a helpmate. He needs help. And then God starts bringing the animals to him. He says in this scripture here, it says, whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So he named all the beasts of the field. He named all the birds of the, the, birds of the air. That's the ostriches, the emus, everything. Chicken, he named everything. And God was the one bringing them to him. And you know how God was bringing them to him? Two by two, right? Male and female. Male and female giraffe. 
male and female kangaroo, male and female lion. And Adam was getting the message, okay? One, two, one, two, and just me. What's the problem here? How come there's no other person? You see, the reason is God will never do anything for you outside your desire. God will never do a thing for you unless you desire it. God doesn't force himself on anybody. Jesus died on the cross, right? But the world is not saved. Everyone in the world is not saved. They have to desire him before they get saved. They have to ask for him before they get saved. Some of you today, God's still wooing you to make the right decision. In some area of your life. To agree with him. Because the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be in agreement? Until you come to God's side, he's not going to put anything on you that you don't want. If you want to be poor, he'll let you. He'll keep that for you. Yes, that's what you want. I'll give that to you. He gives you your desires of your heart. If you want to live a spiritual life, he'll give it to you. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. He'll give you your heart's desire. If you don't desire it, he'll never give it to you. Until you desire something, God doesn't bother with you. But when you start desiring something, God is already there with you. Now, if you desire something as a child of God, and God doesn't want you to have that, When you spend a lot of time with him, before long, you lose that desire for it. And you start wondering, I wonder why I desire that stupid stuff. (laughs) And exchange your desire. In Psalm 21, verse 2, he says that you have given him the desires or his heart's desire. And you have not withheld the request of his lips. You have given him his heart's desire. That's for everybody. He means him or her. God works that way. He'll never do anything for you till you desire it. And sometimes God will find the, find the flames of your desire until it's red hot. God doesn't like hot, you know, cold, lukewarm. He wants you either hot or cold. If you are Look one, he wants to spill you out. You get a bit cold about it or you are really hot about it. When you have a hot desire for something from God, he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. You know, I can tell with my own life. Yes, back when I was in college in Georgia, I wanted to see healing. Amen. I just wanted to see somebody healed. I got all the books. Sometimes in the night I was begging God to let me sleep. Because I was reading the book by T.L. Osborne, uh, Healing the Sick. I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to see healing. God just allowed me to see it. I want to see a blind person see. It's, it, uh, that desire will never go. And thank God, God has given me the, my heart's desire. I have seen blind people see. And all I hoped then was just for me to be around to see it. But God says, I can do better than that. Amen. God said, I can do better than that. God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can 
ask or even imagine or think. So God will not give you until you desire it. In Proverbs 10 verse 24 it says, The desires of a righteous man shall be granted. The desires of a righteous man shall be granted. Period. Your problem is the righteous man has no desire. <laughs> What's your desire? What do you want God to do for you? Do you really desire it? Stay with it and God will bring it through. The desires of a righteous person shall be granted. Who is a righteous person? The one who has received Christ as Lord and Savior. You have the righteousness of God in Christ. And God saying, saying, oh, you got that? Where is the desire? Give me the desire. Give me something to work with. And so he made Adam to desire something by bringing the animals for him to name. And then he started getting the message. And once you've gotten the message, God puts you to sleep, amen. Okay. <laughs> it's time to, to bring your desire into reality. Amen? That means you don't strive. Amen? Let God do it. Don't try to assist him. Do what you can. That's your desire. Then enter into his rest. And let God do it. Even if you have a troubled family, let God do it. Desire a beautiful family. Amen? But don't go clawing at your mate. Finding fault. Showing them stuff. Uh -uh. Desire it and pray. And God will do it. He can talk to them a million times. Faster than you can let them know what they, what they have in their lives. He can do it himself. If you read in the scripture, it says, so God gave, uh, so Adam, verse 20, Adam gave names to all, the, all cattle and to all the birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. There was not found. So who was looking now? There was not found. Adam got the message. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on him, on Adam. And he slept. Many times when we read this scripture, we're thinking, well, I just think Adam slept for a few hours. We don't, you don't know that. It may have been days. How do you know? The Bible doesn't tell us. He slept. Notice God didn't put a sleep on him. A deep sleep. You know what Jesus calls sleep? Death. Don't go out and tell Pastor Goodluck said God killed Adam. I didn't tell you that. <laughs> but he gave him a deep sleep. He fell on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs. How many? Just one. Could he have taken two? Yeah, he was God. He could do whatever he wanted, right? He took one. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. You, you think Adam got up at that point? No, he was still sleeping. And God was still working. 
Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, notice he used the word, he made, not create, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She was taken out of man. The bone that God took from Adam, I believe you can't take a bone, just one little bone, and fashion a grown woman. God can do all things. But God knows how to multiply stuff. Amen? I believe that God multiplied the bones and took his time fashioning. The word there, uh, the, um, the word that was used, it's a different word for making the woman. And uh, I think that one is, the word is ashtar. Ashtar. That's in the Hebrew. And what that means is to build. Okay? To build. So God fashioned the woman. He built the woman. He took his time building this woman. He multiplied I believe the bone and then he fashioned the woman and brought the woman to the to the man. If you notice in the animal kingdom, that's not dealing with man now, usually is the male that is really pretty. Right? If you've looked at ostriches, the males are really colorful. And the, the females are just ordinary. Uh, lions, you've seen a lion? Usually in the animal kingdom, it's the male that's the pretty one. Right? Not so with mankind. Amen? The woman was specially built. Amen? We still use the word, right, now. Oh, she's built, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because God wanted to get Adam's attention. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so God built Esther, the woman. The woman is built. And when Adam took one look at her, oh, wow. <laughs> the guy was yelling. <laughs> wow. This was different. It was different. Notice what Adam said. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. He was sleeping when this happened. But he recognized that that was taken out from him, from his rib. And then he went further. He said, she shall be called woman, right? Because he was taken out of, she was taken out of man. What is he talking about? Bone? No. He's gone beyond that. God separated her spirit. God fashioned the body. But in that time while Adam was sleeping, God didn't just take the bones. That's what we believe. But he took the essence, the spiritual essence, the spirit of Eve, that that out of 
Adam and placed in the new thing that he built. Amen? So Adam was not complete after that happened. The only way he could be complete is when God brings back the woman to him and then they become one and again Adam is complete. Amen? Adam is complete. That's the way God has made it. That's why if there is trouble in the home, confusion reigns and that home is not blessed. When husband and wife keep fighting and everybody, the children, everybody, guess what happens? The children, it affects everybody. The father, the mother, everybody in the home suffers because there's trouble in the home. Because God created them to be one. See, Adam was so excited to have himself complete. And he knew where she came from. She came out of me. She's part of me. God didn't have to tell him to love this woman. <laughs> that was part of him. That was part of him. If you despise your mate, you're despising yourself. I heard a preacher say, I haven't seen any happy man that beats his wife. He's unhappy with himself. He takes it on his wife because it's the same. Amen? He can beat himself, so he beats his wife, who is part of him. We have to go back to the beginning and begin to understand what God has done. And that's why God says, I hate this thing, divorce, I hate it. Because that's not what he created. The woman was delicately fashioned by God. And she's delicate, but see, she's equal to the man. And God put them together. And what God has put together, let not man put asunder. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife. Notice it doesn't say the woman shall leave father and mother and join her to the husband. Does he say that? For this reason, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, wife. I think in the world, that's what we're doing. We, we do things, we're not even thinking about what we're doing, but it came all the way from God. When a woman gets married, normally, except in Hollywood, she changes her last name, right? Huh? She takes the name of the man, right? Who taught us that? That's the way God wants it. You become one with this other person. Nobody says Angela's last name around me. I'm going to be. What did you just say? <laughs> you called her what now? She answers my name. We are one. And she's part of the family. That's the way God made it. And so to understand it is so important. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And both of them become one flesh in the mind of God. Why not the woman? The man first. Because like just as the father and the mother took care of this woman educated her and everything and cared for her 
Now it's your responsibility as a man to take her father and her mother's place in her life. In you, she is complete. Amen? And she takes up your name. And so you got to honor that. You got to honor that. I think that if men will realize how much a father and a mother have put in their daughter's life, how much they will the best for the child, before you met that woman, maybe your attitude will be a little different. Because they meant well for their daughter. And it's so painful sometimes when you watch and you see how men treat their wives and the parents can't do anything and you see them really hurting because their husband is treating them badly. We got to have a strong family, amen? We got to have a strong family. The world is watching. The world is watching. They're saying what everything that we're doing. But you know the word of God. And if this morning you decide in your heart, I am going to be one with my husband. I'm going to be the spiritual man. I'm going to let God be God in my life. Notice in the family with Adam, God conducted the very first wedding. He brought the woman to the man. Man, let God bring you your wife. Amen? And woman, listen to God. Let him lead you. God, was, God brought the woman, right? God will lead you. God will lead you. Somehow, some way, if you're not married, God's going to place you in a place where you'll find the person that completes you. And notice, the greatest mistake people, Christians make, they go by how they feel. Instead of the essence of their being. Your spirit and your soul. If you go by that, you'll never go wrong. God has to be a part of it. Amen? God has to be a part of it. Now that doesn't say if you have a family and things are happening, you can change that. Amen? You make the decision, leave the man alone or leave the woman alone. You make the decision, we are going to be a strong family. Start this very day with God by bringing him into your life. And that will begin to happen. Stand up with me this morning. One of the things that I'm planning by the grace of God, God's giving me a lot of ideas in my head these days. Um, I want to start before long a group um, for married people so that we can sit and talk and be taught how to have a strong family life. Amen? We're going to have that by the grace of God. Where we can move. Thank you. We are family. You see, family is God's idea. The church, as we are right now, this is a family here. We have to be close to one another. I want to be part of your life. I want you to be part of my life. You're not bothering me. If I hear from you, I'm, I'm even happier. 
You don't ever feel like I'm bothering pastor. No, no. That's where God, that's why I'm here. We got to be family. And so we're going to be having that. With young people, we need to come together and begin to teach, you know, ask questions. How do I do this? How do I pray for me? And all of that, what's going on? And not for gossip, but to be together so that we can have very strong families. What are you doing in your family to solve this problem? And you go back, not to attack your mate, but to say, I heard that this is what they're doing. Maybe we can do it in our home. Amen? Lift up your hands this morning before the Lord. The first thing that a man needs to do is to be connected to the maker. We need to be connected. I don't know everyone here today. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus died on the cross for you. You cannot be righteous by your own doing. If you've lied, one lie, you are a liar. So God will forgive you and bring you into his family. But you have to want Jesus into your life. You have to ask him. He will not invade your life. You just have to ask him to come into your life. Whether you're young or you're old. Middle age, it doesn't matter. If you have not accepted Christ into your life, I would like you to do that. Put your hands down. If, if you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, Jesus loves you so much. He wants to live with you eternally. Give him that privilege. He won't invade your life. Ask him to come in. And he will come in right there. Right there immediately. And things will begin to change. And then after you've come to know him, avail yourself. Make yourself available to be taught the word of God so you can grow. All heads bowed this morning. If you're here this morning and you want Jesus in your life, you want him to control. You've, you've done it your way and things haven't worked out. But you want to humble yourself before God this morning and say, God, I need you. Come and give me some direction in my life. I want to be your child and I want to listen to your voice. If you're here this morning, just put your hand right now. Quickly, put your hand up. Put your hand up now. Let me see your hand up. Quickly. Thank you. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me and mean it from your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to the world to die for my sins. Lord Jesus, this very day, I open my heart and I invite you into my life. Lord, be the Lord of my life. By your grace, I will make myself available to your word to be taught so that I can grow in my faith. Thank you, Lord, for writing my name now in the book of life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to pray before you close. I want to bless you. Lift your hands up to the Lord this time as I bless you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to speak a word of blessing according to the word of God over your life. And I believe that the blessing of God will follow you. If you are weak, God will give you strength. 
If you are confused, God will help you so that you know. The Lord bless you and keep you in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon your life to lift you up to a different place of living, a place of peace, a place of joy, that your life will know peace in every area. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.